From the unexplained to the mundane, why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe? And welcome back to part two of our introduction to modern day UFOs and where they come from, where we are at. In the first half of this, we covered many of the more common sightings, um, starting with Ken- Kenneth Arnold a little bit before with World War II. In this episode, what we're going to cover more so now is the government's response to the somewhat hysteria that arose from all these sightings occurring, and most specifically, the fear that was coming from within the government in parts. There's a lot of fear. Uh, sometimes. I, I guess that's one of the emotions that comes up. So we're going to have to go back to Kenneth Arnold, who on June 24th, 1947, he saw around Mount Rainier some flying saucers that were specifically called flying saucers by him. And colloquially, everybody called them at the time flying saucers. UFO wasn't something that really was said for a couple years still. This was the start of the 1947 UFO flap, as we've talked about before. 800 UFO sightings happen in these couple months, right around June through August. When people saw these UFOs, they started to get a little scared. They didn't know what was happening. And in these situations, you want to report, at least some people do, what they were seeing. And it is actually something that's quite common in the UFO community talked about, is that less than half, probably closer to 10% of all sightings are actually ever reported to anybody. Do why why do you, do we think why that is? We can get well, of into it. Of course we it. think why uh, that is. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people will brush off what they saw as something mm-hmm. that was a trick of the mind. A lot of people will mm-hmm. not submit because they don't want to be belittled or have mm-hmm. it publicly known that they now that people might think they believe in UFOs. There's a lot of stigma around seeing even seeing a ufo let alone reporting a ufo and i also think importantly is nobody really knows what to do when you see a ufo where do you actually report it true so i mean we might know i don't even know that i would know maybe i i'm gonna get into it that will actually finish off our episode (laughs) i'm just thinking right now if it was me it'd be like i think that's not a plane or would I report that the police nine one one probably not the best place to do it? Yeah, I don't think they want to do that. Nor do I think nine one one actually knows where to send you. Unfortunately, Pro- they probably don't. So that's good that we cover it. Yeah, but at the time, um, yes. people were talking about it in nineteen forty seven, and this did reach the Pentagon. The Pentagon didn't really know what was going on. Uh, a lot of the underlings. They tried to, or they'd be pushed into looking into this because reports keep going up and up to a certain point. On July 30th, 1947, we get a lieutenant colonel by the name of George Garrett within the Pentagon. And he came up with the smart idea of just asking his superiors and the FBI if these were classified projects or if they were our aircrafts in the sky. And uh, what do you think the answer was? Like this guy, first of all. I don't know. What did he say? I actually, I think the answer is pretty straightforward with how I phrased it because they came back with an answer and the answer was no, they're not ours. If the answer was yes, they're ours, we wouldn't know about this at this point. I was just going to say, you can't say yes, they're ours. Exactly. That just brings up a whole other. (laughs) 
It brings up a whole uh, other thing. And I mean, it's a whole other yeah. UFO and thing to explore into. This is also a really interesting time in uh, just when you're looking at the US. So World War II had just ended a couple of years ago. And uh, there's actually only, and this is super, super um, overgeneralizing this topic, but there's really only two wings of the military. You've got the army and you have the navy. If you know now, there's actually four wings, but at the time there was only two. And right around this time, they're talking about separating the Air Force out. This entire investigation actually mirrors really closely to the separation of the uh, Air Force from the Army and the Navy. So on September 18th, 1947, there was an announcement from the government that they were going to be creating a new wing of the military, the Air Force. It didn't quite come about at that time that the Air Force actually existed because the Navy was a little bit concerned about their wing that had all the airplanes on it. Uh, no hmm. pun intended there. So it did take a little bit of time <laughs> to separate out. But at that point, Lieutenant Colonel George Garrett that we were just talking about, his superior decided that we should create a task force to actually look into all these reports that we're getting that nobody's ever really known what to do with. Hmm. He gives it to uh, a man, and sorry, I didn't break down his ranking, but his last name is Twinings. And okay. he was very high up when they created the, uh, the Air Force. And Twinings on September 23rd actually came back to Shulgin with a little bit of info that he's been able to gather from cases that he was reading. And this is point for point from his memo. So first point. The phenomenon reported is something real and not visionary or fictitious. Point number two, there are objects probably approximately the shape of a disc of such appreciable size as to appear to be as large as a man-made error. Point number three, there is the possibility that some of the incidents may be caused by natural phenomena, such as meteors. Point number four, the reported operating characteristics such as extreme rates of climb, maneuverability, and action which must be considered evasive when sighted or contacted by friendly aircrafts and radar, lend belief to the possibility that some of the objects are controlled either manually, automatically, or remotely. Point number five, it is possible within the present U.S. knowledge to construct a piloted aircraft which has the general description. Point number six, any development in this country along the lines indicated would be extremely expensive. Point number seven, due consideration must be given to the following. Possibility that these objects are of domestic origin. The lack of physical evidence in the shape of crash recovered exhibits, which would undeniably prove the existence of these objects. So we haven't found a crash, so we can't prove that they exist. Hmm. Uh, and the possibility that some foreign nations have a former propulsion, possibly nuclear, which is outside of our domestic knowledge. Uh, this is what he came back with. Uh, they did have some discussions from there. And on January 22nd, 1948, this is a week after the U.S. Air Force officially separates out from the Army and the Navy after they've come to their agreement on how Interesting to Interesting point. Project Sign formally began its work. It was, Sign was a branch of the Air Technical Intelligence Center, ADIC for short, at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That comes up a lot when you're looking mm -hmm. into UFO research. And that is why, is because a lot of the UFO research done by the government is done out of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Interesting. This was all done under the direction of Captain Robert Schneider and Michael D. Swords. 
there are a few more names that come up, but they're kind of the head investigators underneath Twinings. So this all starts on January 22nd, 1948. Go ahead. I'm just, I just wanted to make a comment on his findings in his points that he's made about what he he's looking into. And I'm finding them very vague and contradictory to each other. (laughs) Um, And that's, he didn't want to make any statements that are, and this is somebody who is just, of course, trying to keep his place in a newly formed part of the military he wants to keep his job yeah and more importantly he's now being tasked with some crap job that no other branch of the government wanted it's also and they said, something oh, here's a new that... thing we can push it on to and they yeah it almost feels like at the time they're like oh air those things are in the air let's hand it off to that new thing <laughs> it's also what we were just saying it's kind of one of those things you report these things for because people are going to think that you're crazy so now they've given this job to a guy that's like i want to keep my job yeah yeah like what do i say one of those very fluffy memos that doesn't actually it's one of those ones it could be this but it's not that it (laughs) don't commit to anything cover all your grounds (laughs) exactly uh, just make sure everything sounds right for how they look. It for sure reads like, like that. Yeah. It was all 100% accurate information, but it was nothing in general. Yeah. <laughs> that's also the direction coming off of all that info that Twinings had given them. That's all the direction that they were really given. So these guys are tasked with looking into all of the different cases that they're getting. You're going to find that although there was a lot of really smart people involved with it, there's no direction. Mm-hmm. There's no question that's specifically being asked. More so, hey, can you just look into this? There's no structure. No, so there this, wouldn't be for something yeah, like exactly. this. And it, it, that's Logically, the whole thing it is, wouldn't make sense. There's no direction. But there are a lot of smart people involved. JL and Heineck, actually, who we do talk about a bit, he's a very famous astronomer. Mm-hmm. He is involved heavily with the government beforehand, afterward. Um, hmm. And his name is going to come up a few times as we're talking about this. But he was part of the committee. He did really want to get on there. And it does appear right off the bat that everybody had an opinion on what the answer was. And everybody has framed it as either because they're looking at it as flying saucers. And most hmm. people are say, agreeing that they're flying saucers in the sky. So it appears nuancedly what they're talking about is where are the flying saucers coming from? Hmm. One of the most famous cases that comes out of this one, it's called the Mantell Incident. This one did actually result in the death of a an Air Force pilot. And this happened actually on January 7th, 1948, while a group of four pilots, sorry, four pilots plus Mantell were flying their planes. And sorry, it's over Kentucky, Franklin, Kentucky. And they see a shiny metallic object up in the sky and they start to chase it. They never quite get within reach of it. They keep It keeps going up. The pilots keep chasing it. Eventually, they reach 10,000 feet in their planes. Everybody but Mantell decides to abandon chasing this object because it's too high. They're running out of oxygen because these are older planes. Mantell keeps following it. He says that he sees it as a metallic object. It's of tremendous size. And at some point between 10,000 and 15,000 feet, Mantell blacks out, never regains consciousness, crashes to the ground. Wow. I'm surprised he um, didn't shoot at it though to see if it was hostile. Nobody really knows. But that's what just me. Here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, officially, we'll never know if it was hostile. Yeah. 
<laughs> Officially, the U.S. Air Force does actually have an answer, and their answer is he was chasing Venus, the star in the sky. Okay, okay. Science okay, personnel, yeah. Science personnel never accepted that explanation. They still had it classified mm. as unknown. Okay. Right off the bat, when they were tasked with doing this, what they were asked for was, and sorry, I did say it was vague, and it is incredibly vague. What they were asked was to give an estimate of the situation. That's still vague. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's so vague. And uh, that was at the very beginning, I believe it was uh, September of 47, they do that. And that was kind of what they were going to go with. In October mm -hmm. of 1948, Schneider and Swords, who we just talked about a little earlier, they said, Kate, we've got, our, we've got an estimate of the situation. This is exactly what they say. The situation was the UFOs. The estimate was that they were interplanetary. The staff general that was watching over this entire situation, his name is Staff Sergeant, or sorry, Staff General uh, Hoyt Vandenberg. You don't see many Hoyts anymore. No. That's too bad. You know, we got to bring Good a Hoyt sounding. back. Yeah, but he said, your estimation here is really lacking any supporting physical evidence. I don't like it. I reject it. And we are burning all the copies that there are. <laughs> so okay, apparently, maybe we don't need to bring Hoyt back. <laughs> yeah, at least name it on a different point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when this happens, there's actually, there's two competing factions within Project Sign. So there is uh, Schneider and Swords, who both kind of, I don't know if they came into it, but at least while they're doing this investigation, they do believe that what they are looking at is not of this planet. There's another faction within. Uh, this one's led by a man by na named Major Aaron Boggs, which Swords was on record at one point as calling this Major Boggs the Pentagon saucer killer. If you ever wanted to make things just like people belittle it and make it go away, Aaron Boggs is who you bring in. Yeah. Um, yeah he mean, said, you guys are complete idiots. What we're actually yeah. looking at is Soviet Union technology. We don't know what kind of propulsion they're using, but it's Soviet Union technology. Which is really, I think, a sign of the times that they're in at yeah. that point, looking at anything as Soviet technology. Yeah. Basically, at that point, you had two competing viewpoints. Swords and Schneider did end up walking back their viewpoint a little bit, but they said it can't be explained by any nation that we know of on this planet. Something along those lines. They kind of took out the words interplanetary. So I was just um, going to ask on that interplanetary note that they take that out there. I was just thinking they're specifically saying this is not of this planet. It's coming from another planet I, it might be they're the, specifically uh, saying interplanetary they're not talking about interplanetary yes interplanetary they're not talking sorry about is what you yeah. specifically said uh, i they're wrote down on this planet which is so they're not even entertaining that it could be anything else it's just no and strictly you do, you do have to put your mind in the context here this is before anybody has been into space i don't think sputniks hmm. in space either so there's we haven't even put a yeah. man-made object into space we haven't put a dog into space. I think like is a, this is the the beginning core. concepts of thinking that it's not even something that could come from Earth. It's not the oh, Russians. It's not yeah. something else. So your first thought is it's from another planet. And more it's not for a lot of years yet. They don't specifically say it, but there is a very wide held belief at this point that Mars has a civilization. Martians. Yes. Those Martians. <laughs> so. They, they do say interplanetary. That, that is one of the explanations that they would likely have gone with, or Venetians, Venus. Yeah. 
possibly even moon moonanites moon moonanians <laughs> moonians <laughs> no. so they're thinking i mean this is so far before space exploration that it's not even a concept that it could be anything else other than interplanetary within our solar system yeah because it's so not explored yeah. and I'll not even from another yeah. galaxy even nothing from you don't, different you don't dimensions need to look that far in this era to have an idea of where life was we we are so simple life was yeah <laughs> it's either the russians or the moon <laughs> maybe mars but we don't have to go that far. maybe mars mars is pretty far i don't know if they could make it from mars <laughs> you have to hold your breath for so long it was a simple time back then <laughs> so that is how project sign kind of comes to a head the Air Force likes Major Boggs' answer a lot better. There's so much turmoil at the end of Project Sign that basically anybody who believed the interplanetary answer left. <laughs> they didn't want to get involved anymore. They were worried that they would be belittled. They'd lose any chance of any promotions, and they're just out. Um, I mean, we still see things like that today in anything. Where oh, you, yeah. Where you give it. Okay. Interestingly enough, the next project is called Project Grudge. And I can't remember the, who said this, but they basically said that it's not a coincidence that it's named Project Grudge. They were upset they that really the original... really appreciate that. Yeah, they really were upset that the original project sign came back with, at any point in time, an extraterrestrial answer. And they said, no, no, I'm holding this up. I'm mad. And at this point, Project Grudge comes about. This is uh, 1949. Basically, they, they really consider this the dark age of UFO investigation in this short period. Basically, if you could come up with anything outside of the answer of unidentified even, you take it. They do do some investigation, but really Project Grudge is just something we don't look at that much because... Everything in there is just manipulated to make give you the answer they want. Why would we look at that? And, yeah. It seems like every so of... often in history, you get that dark age where uh, everything's just kind of shot down. Well, yeah, it's the pushback from the unknown. It's, you can only go so hmm. far before there's a natural pushback and belittling up. You look at the time, look at the time, just like we were just talking about where there's no really even space exploration at the time very narrow-minded of anything that could happen. Naturally, what we want to do is disprove everything to do with anything that we have no idea about. We want to say, nope, we know what it is. Leave it alone. You're a crazy person. Oh, and sorry, I was incorrect on one part here. So Rupelt, uh, who is the first person that's in charge of Project Blue Book, will be getting to him. <laughs> but he did, in fact, Project Grudge, the dark ages of official Air Force UFO investigations. But still, by the time it had come to a conclusion, some about 20% of UFO sightings remained classified as unknown. I would say if they strictly existed to disprove UFO sightings, I would call that the dark ages in UFO. Yeah, and it's... I honestly, I wish we could go back to a time where they called all these investigation groups these good names. You're going to see as we progress here that the names just get worse. Basically, at one point, the Air Force gets to where they're 
getting more and more questions about it and project grudge just isn't pulling its weight it's not answering what actually it doesn't seem like uh, it's doing anything no and there was no real way to report there was you didn't know who to report to uh people were getting concerned because people are seeing this and it's more or less a separate flap that happens in the 50s that they said okay we can't do this anymore we need to move on to actually looking like we're trying to do something it's 1952 when we move on to the next project which is project blue book and that was a part of project and i'm sure you're going to get into that i just felt like bringing this in to ask that was a part it came from project grudge so these all technically are one and the same thing it's just really okay yes at points when they need renaming and it's really hard to say if they actually are separate things or not like j allen heinex sitting on committees in the background of all these okay so just looking at that linearity like technically it's all flowing from one point to the next okay and hell if you look right back from this original 1947 flap to present day the pentagon has been collecting ufo reports under it's the just same kind of what technical project. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily a so. project. I guess so when you think working. about it. Yeah. I guess so when you think about it, it would all go to the same place. Yeah. And where, I do feel Whatever bad, the goings on. Yeah. So we do get to Project Blue Book now. This is, if you've heard of a project that looks into UFO investigations, this is probably the one you've heard of. It goes on for the longest amount of time as opposed to Project Sign, which was just right around a year. Project Garage, it was two years. We get into Project Blue Book, and this is 52. And it is, and sorry, I just need to look up his rank. It's uh, Captain Ruppelt, so Edward J. Ruppelt. I am going to flip between Ruppelt and Ruppelt, just because I don't know how to pronounce it. It's probably Ruppelt. <laughs> it's best we're, to just cover entering, all your bases. <laughs> yeah, but we're entering the very anti-communist era. I don't think you want your last name to be confused with Ruble, so it's probably Ruppelt. He's been watching this all kind of unfold, especially through Project Grudge, where he had a lot of critiques of it. And he came up with a few things that he wanted to do to make Project Blue Book different than everything that came before it. So I kind of have five... Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you there. Did we get his ranking? Captain. Captain, okay. I don't know if that helps you at all. I actually don't know the ranking levels of everything, but I uh, but I do know Captain Crunch. So as, yes, so he's in charge of one ship in the serial fleet. Yes, but so. I do believe that this is the same ranking as Swords and yeah, Swords and Schneider from the original one, and that's the same level. They were they were both captains, so Ruppelt's at the okay. same level as them. And he establishes a few things that he thinks will make everything just go a lot smoother, make it a lot more transparent with Project Blue Book as opposed to everything that came before. First thing, he says we actually need to have a purpose. It can't just be give me an estimate of what's happening out there. He said, I want this project to be about two things. First and foremost, I want to determine if UFOs are a threat to national security. Mm -hmm. Second thing, I want to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. I don't know why that wasn't established earlier, but it was just kind of a take what you want and investigate what you want and we'll have fun with it sort of thing. That's kind of what it seems like. But I I like Captain Ruppel. Captain Ruppel. I don't know how he seems like he's going places. Second thing that he established is he didn't want anyone involved in Project Blue Book 
that had a strong feeling towards any explanation to the phenomenon. So if you awesome. said, cool. I know it's not happening. If you said, I know it's the Russians. If you said, I know it's extraterrestrials, you were out. He actually fired three people right off the bat. And he said, you guys have already made it clear that you feel strongly one way on this. You're out. Third awesome. thing he did, and this is probably the best thing that I think he did out of any of it. He streamlined the process for reporting UFOs. So up until this point, I've kind of said that you could report things. I haven't talked about how you report things because I have no idea before Project Blue Book. Right. At Project Blue Book, every Air Force base had a Project Blue Book representative that if you saw anything, you could go and talk to. And they would report it to Ruppel. I'm just curious, where did this guy come from just having so much vision with what to do with Project Blue Book? I don't know. They just seemed like fairly obvious answers though don't they it was very obvious but he came in with a I, mission i honestly think it's just that they actually hired somebody who they wanted to look impartial and he wasn't partial and he just said let's actually investigate it like we want an answer i mean that's fair enough answer it wasn't like he wants to yeah. come in and prove ufos are real he just wants an impartial answer whether they're real or not he doesn't care he just wants to know yeah. i like it so yeah. And that's fantastic. And especially like if you could just go talk to somebody on base that the only thing they're there for is for or sorry, they might have jobs outside of that. But if they were there specifically to take your sightings, there'd be less report. stigma about it than going to your commanding officer and saying, I saw this. Can you pass it on to who needs to hear about it? So you're actually going to get or file it away. Yeah, make exactly. sure that it's getting there. Next thing, that item four that he talked about, and this is also kind of in line with number three, he wanted to use standardized forms so they could collect and analyze the data once they've actually taken the report, both taken and finished the investigation. So they're also investigating the reports, not just taking a report. Yeah, they are doing both. And this is, this is a little bit something that's a bit of a negative. It's something Jacques Vallée said. So I, I don't know if it's true or not. He said that the fifth thing is Ruppel started the trend of largely not giving serious consideration to numerous reports of UFO landings and or interactions with the purported UFO occupants. So he's really just looking at sightings. He's not looking at inter... He tries to avoid anything where there's an interaction with the UFO or the insiders. I mean, that's getting into a whole other thing. Yeah. I blame him. But I, I wanted to add that one in there just because it... Jacques Vallée alleges that that was something that he changed at Project Blue Book as well. Okay. But here we have it. They actually, they've come to a, an organized, they know what they want out of this. They know how to report it and they know how to collect it, which is something that at least the, from what it looked like up until this point, wasn't there. And this is strictly the Air Force that is running Project Blue Book right now. Yes, it is strictly the Air Force that's doing okay. it. I don't know if they're collecting outside. I believe they are collecting outside because, sorry, I, I do know because like Barney and Betty Hill are in Project Blue Book. So I don't they're think they had Blue any okay. involvement. Yeah, they are. Okay. They do this. Captain Ruppelt stays on until 1953, I believe. And they do do one report under Project uh, Captain Ruppelt. This is where they actually take all that computerized data and come to some very interesting conclusions. So under him, they've taken all the reports and everything that people have logged under this standardized form 
he's having everybody essentially yes, complete well if they've all, had any yes. sort of sighting. The captain has come up to some sort of conclusion. I really like him. He's done a great service in the Air Force. Yeah. In 1954, Captain Ruppel got all the uh, cases that, that had been investigated during his time, and they actually did do that scientific analysis of them all, which was 3,200 cases at the time. So it was in 1954. Wow. How long uh, this has is this called... been operating for? From 1952 to 1954, that's that many cases. Yes. Oh. And, uh, okay. and I don't know, honestly, what... Oh. This is something I could easily look into, but I didn't during the uh, research. That's fine. They might have been cases that were <laughs> already in... Yeah. A lot of information out there. Yeah. They might have been cases that were already in books that just hadn't been investigated yet. Because, you know, they had a grudge on their shoulder that they had to take care of. <laughs> This report that is done under Captain Ruppel is called Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14. They look at these 3,200 cases and they break it down into basically, there's three categories. It's either an unknown, an unknown, or an insufficient data. And then there are, they had different levels of evidence that they had from none to excellent. These are the results they came up with. So about 69% of the cases were judged to be known or identified. 9% fell into insufficient information and 22% were deemed unknown. In the unknown category, 86% of the knowns were aircrafts, balloons, or ex astronomical explanations. 1.5% mm -hmm. of all cases were judged to be psychological or crackpot cases. And they also just had a miscellaneous category, which may be included hoaxes, but Nope. I don't know. It could be anything. It's miscellaneous. Yeah. <laughs> it could be Santa Claus. But this is really interesting. So the higher the quality of the case, the more likely it was to be classified as unknown. So 35% of the excellent cases were deemed to be unknowns, as opposed to 18% of the poorest cases. Now, I think there is a logical explanation for that, in that you can more easily explain, like if they saw an airplane, with poor information if you can just right off the bat say oh yeah yeah that's definitely like sputnik flew over at that time uh, hmm. on that exact day he's describing that straight line that's what it is you can just chalk it up and say this is explained if it is unknown you're likely to dig a little deeper that's at least how i would think it worked but hmm. i don't know 100 percent why that there might be another reason out there that's what happened under ruppelt's for a little while during his tenure there, uh, Ruppel steps down for a couple months. Then he comes back. I believe this is in 53. And at that point, during his missing months, there were changes made that just made him dislike his time there. They cut a lot of his staff. They changed a lot of the rules that he had to follow. And eventually that leads to Ruppel stepping down. In 1954, he is replaced by someone by the name of Captain Hardin. Of Captain Hardin, Ruppelt said this. Hardin thinks that anyone who is even interested in UFOs is crazy. Oh, they bore okay. Him. Okay. Yeah. Well, I um, don't like where this and, is going at all. Yeah. No, you're not. And um, it's very apparent that there might be weight to what he's saying. So we had Project Blue Book report number 14 that said about 22% of these are unidentified. What do you think that number is under Hardin? I feel like it's going to go down a great deal. I feel like it's going to be in the area of about 2%. Oh, very close. 1%. 1%. Yeah, I had a feeling yeah. under a quote like that, it would go down dramatically. Yeah. 
this is somebody who doesn't want to be controversial. He doesn't want to hurt his moving up within the military. Mm, so we're going basically back. Says, yeah, we're going back to that style of just find an answer that doesn't upset okay. anybody. This actually continues for a while. Harden's only in there for two years. He's replaced by Captain Gregory in 1956. He has a very similar viewpoint as Harden. I don't have what percent are unknown under him, but he took a very liberal, liberal approach to what it meant when somebody put possibly in uh, in a re- in an investigation. So if they put possibly airplane, he said that it wasn't unknown. It was an airplane. I mean, I can't blame him for saying that. Yes. Because uh, on the part of somebody who is reporting something, you just say, mm, yeah, it possibly probably was an airplane. I mean, that takes it kind of away from what you're stating, right? You're going, yeah, yeah maybe uh, I don't know what I saw. It could have possibly been an no, airplane. No, and you're like, okay, no, so it probably not, was an airplane. Not what was being reported, what was being investigated. So when the investigator goes there with them, if they saw in the notes possibly airplane, they stopped oh, okay. the investigation and they said it was an airplane. So this is a person re- investigating the, yeah. it. If they yeah, even saw possibly. If they broke possibly X, possibly Y. So it wasn't the person reporting it that said possibly. No, no, it's the uh, investigator. Which would make sense yeah. to be like, okay, yeah. well, we're not taking a report. Okay. He stuck around for two years again. That seems to be kind of what you get is two years outside of Major Friend, who is next. So Major Friend now takes over. But Major. Yeah. We got Cappins to Major. And unfortunately, I don't know if that's an upgrade or a downgrade. I don't know either. Offhand. But Major Friend tried to bring it back to uh, the levels that we had with um, Captain Ruffle. So Ruffle found a lot standards. of yeah, he wanted to bring it back to that standard. He stuck around for five years. He got a bit of it back, but I unfortunately, hear. there's not a lot to talk about in this time frame. There, there is. I just I'm trying to keep it as brief as possible. So what um, I'm getting here is Captain Ripple just came in and kicked ass. He did, and that's kind of it's kind of an outlier, unfortunately. So Major Friends stuck around for five years, and then Major Quintanilla came in in 1963. He brought it right back to the ages of Captain Gregory. And at this wow. point, it's it's fallen off a lot from the level that it was with with Captain Ripple. And J. Allen Hynek, who's sitting in the back, he actually is on record saying that the only two people in charge of any of the projects I've ever actually liked were Friend and Robert. Like, all the other ones seem to just come in and be putting in their time. So where are these people coming from? Do you know how they're assigned to these roles? I don't know how they're assigned. I believe it's just you're moving your way up through the military. It's It's just at one point or another, you're you're put through Project Blue Book. Well, you want to be sitting on committees. You want to pad your um, Mm. your resume more or less for getting up. But at the same time, and this is something I would like to look into a little more, see what happens to these people. It can also be seen as a hindrance to your career. So I'm absolutely, not sure and people... I know that's still something. Yeah, uh, in any community in for anybody situations. to come forward. I don't know in these situations if these people were placed on it because they wanted to have their career damaged, or if these people were kind of fixers. It's it's hard to say from what you're putting forth right now whether it's kind of just somewhere. Sometimes people are assigned, 
like, yeah. what are you going to do with this? We'll give yeah. it to you and see what you can do with it. And then from there, it's just a free for all to see kind of, you know, you put anything into it. Do you not? And they're so scared of what, what action to take with any of it. I honestly, when it comes to this, it would be nice to do a deep dive into Project Blue Book, but a lot of people have done that. And I think there are more important things to look at than uh, military careers at this point. But let's try to muscle <laughs> through the rest of this. So Heineck wrote to the committee that's in charge of Project Blue Book in 1966. He said, look, we need to actually just take 100 well-documented UFO sightings every, every year and get a 10-man days devoted to each case and just get answers to them. To that, the U.S. Air Force decided to say, okay, we're going to go find a university that will do that. They asked a whole bunch of universities to do this research for them. They say, take 100 cases, look at each of them, and we'll figure out what's going on. A lot of them said no, pretty much all of them. And they till they get to a man named Edward Condon. He's a physicist at um, University of Colorado. His reputation as being a well-known scientist, this is in 1966, comes from his work on the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Mm. So he would, he would present to the House of Un-American Activities Committee, which is more or less just the let's find communists in our midst at the time. Mm. Interesting. Uh, but yeah. That's, uh, that's the type of person we're actually looking at, at least I think with Edward Condon, Professor Edward Condon, is uh, somebody who is very much on the side of the government and doesn't want to rock the boat. In fact, if you want him to find something, he'll probably find it. And something does come up. There's a memo that gets passed around. Sorry, there's a, it's called the Condon Committee that uh, gets put in place to uh, look into these cases that they want to do. A memo comes out during the Condon Committee. I can't remember whose name is attached to this, but it basically says on this memo, a reassurance to the University of Colorado administration that the study will demonstrate that UFO observations had no basis in reality because they didn't want mm -hmm. any bad press with the university. So a few people had to reassure them that don't worry, we're going to find this way. Sure enough, Condon Report comes out Oh, I forgot to write the date down. I believe it's 67, saying that there's nothing to that really needs to be investigated. Uh, shortly after, Project Blue Book comes down in 1969. And it closes. Yeah. Completely. But yeah, during the course of it, there were 12,618 cases investigated. 701 were classified as unknown phenomenon. Many believe that it should have been higher, somewhere probably closer to 1,700. But, you know, that's, that's we started at fairly, 20%. That's a high, that's a large number, actually, even yeah. given the percentage. Oh, yeah. I mean, all it takes just, is one, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, uh, I don't that's see how it is. I don't exact date for the Condon report, but I, I see just here 1966 to 1968. Yeah. So, and then it honestly leads to Project Blue Book ending right around the same time. Just so this gets put straight, this is just for um, outwards view of uh, UFO investigations. The government continues to do internal reviews of UFO reports. They come up time to time. Uh, one famous one that kind of comes up around the same time is the Brookings Report. And it was something that NASA had put on. It's also known as the Proposed Study on the Implications of Peaceful Space Activities for Human Affairs. 
That it's sounds so less. Nice. It's less looking specifically at sightings, and it's more done by sociologists and psychologists saying, like, what are the implications on society and human psyche if we actually find presence of life outside of Earth? Like that, but that's uh, coming a from lot me, of people, who has yeah, words that a lot of people of get scared of it because of that. Yeah. And it, it does get brought up as kind of a boogeyman a lot of the time. But it was more so like them getting prepared if they ran into something on moon that they weren't yeah. expecting. So, I mean, then you get into the very scary parts of like mass hallucinations, yeah. such um, as that of Los Angeles. So just to finish it off, there's a big empty space that I'm just going to kind of skip over. Uh, there is investigating always going on into these cases they're always being reported but i'm going to skip to 2007 which is we found out in 2017 that's a long time 1969 there are some real things going on but for brevity (laughs) we're going to do this advanced aerospace threat identification program this is where the billionaire out of las vegas robert bigelow is brought in to discover um, to research (laughs) The unexplained aerial phenomenon over a four or a five-year period. It ended in 2012. We found out about it in 2017. That is through Luis Elizondo, of course, that a lot of that came to light. All right. Can I just go back here? I didn't know that Bigelow had anything to do with this. He has his hand oh, yeah, in this he, as well. Yeah. Yeah. He got $22 he, million to do this. This guy, Robert Bigelow, is insane. He's like the coolest guy. If I was a millionaire, I would want to be this guy. He's putting money, billionaire, sorry. He's putting so much money into all these research areas to do with UFOs, supernatural, and everything. This is where this guy's putting his money. So that was kind of one of the more recent studies that we actually know about, but not a lot has been released on it to read, or at least I just haven't read it yet. It might be out there. I. I got rushed at the end here. <laughs> he, then, that's um, fine. Is he working with to the stars, Bigelow? Bigelow is not, as far as I'm aware. I'm not sure what he's working on because he also sold Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. Well, oh, sorry. he's I working mean, on. Um, he's working on something for planetary travel. Um, he has a company that builds, yes. more or less terrariums. Yes. He was working with but something actual- for hotels in space. My yeah, correct on this? Yes. But you were just saying something with Bigelow having to do with Luis Elizondo. Yeah, this that... was the, uh, they both worked on this research together. It's called Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. See how the okay, names so get this, this <laughs> You always need a good, like, acronym when you have to do with UFOs. Um, oh, yeah. And that's partially what they do here. And especially when you look at what they're studying, it's unexplained aerial phenomenon. I find sorry, this very interesting. But what? under um, under Project Sign, they actually coined the term unidentified flying object so that they could more broadly study what's happening. Also, you know, that whole other thing that the government does is come up with an acronym so that people don't know what to search for when they're doing a FOIA. Although I don't yes. think FOIA ex- happened at the time. We've seen over the whole last two episodes that UFOs have gone by many, many names. Yes. I've never, in everything that I've heard before, I never either put together that Luis Elizondo and Robert Bigelow were both on a project together. 
So right now I'm just kind of taken aback by that. Robert Bigelow is just for people listening. He made his money in Hotel motels. Hotel, I, it wasn't just Las Vegas. It was, what was it called? It was small motels across America. And they were motels. They weren't hotels. They were motels across America. And that's where he made his money. And in that, making his money there. And there's many conspiracy theories about Robert Bigelow and what he's doing with his money. But he's put a large sum of money in not only UFO research, but also research into supernatural. And that's why I was saying, this guy's my hero. This is what I would be doing if I won the lottery. So I'm just, I didn't know that him and Luis Elizondo had something in this together. And it's interesting that now Luis Elizondo is working with the stars with the disclosure that's going on now. So that's why I'm asking what Robert Bigelow is up to. Because yeah. we haven't heard of what he his projects are recently. Uh, no, that's something we could definitely do an episode just on him, honestly, what he's been I'm up gonna to. I'm going to write that down too. And then lastly, it was in the it was in the COVID budget, I believe, that last one that passed. There's a little thing that got slipped in there about the disclosure of UFO documentation. Really? So, yeah. So um, a lot of CIA documents and FBI documents got released with regards of what they have on UFOs. There's a big chunk, big chunk. I got them in December. I'm slowly reading my way through them. Also, in the same documents, they created the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. And, uh, when was this started? 2020. And it's really just saying that they still collect and look at UFO reports. And mm -hmm. I believe they're going to be releasing a report in the next little while. But in a little while. So this is just Project Blue Big under another name. However, that More or less, that's said, all they all ever are. That's all it ever is. But that being said, 2020, I mean, we had the start of disclosure of UFO unidentified flying objects information and how it was a while ago now it wasn't 2020 it wasn't even 2019 it would have been 2018 2017 that this information was re released so i'm surprised that they're not coming out with something further now though it's probably not yeah. going to come from the government no, exactly. it'll be, so that it always is and sorry i have one more thing to add i forgot to get to it um, mm -hmm. project blue books conclusions they came up with three of them one, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication or of threat to our national security. Yeah. So they never said they don't. We've never have, seen it. They never said where we've, it came from. They just said, eh, they're probably peaceful. We tried shooting We've at never them, seen them. Work. Exactly. We've unloaded thousands and thousands of rounds at these things, and they've never yeah. appeared hostile. <laughs> There was no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified, represented technology develop technological developments uh, or principles beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge, which mm -hmm. basically is saying that we never got any physical proof. And when we did, it was just metal. Yeah. And there was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified were extraterrestrial vehicles. But again, that's more so saying that nobody said, came up to us and specifically said, yeah, I'm from Venus, something like that. Yeah. So very vague answers. That's always what you're going to get. And most importantly, when you, say it's not a threat, yeah, when you say it's not a threat, 
that means you don't have to investigate any further. You can move on with your career. Okay. So that's where we have it. A little bit of a jump around, but that is government's response to UFOs. We do have plans from here to move on to uh, something that J. Allen Hynek did. And that is while he was working at Project Blue Book, he came up with the close encounter of the X kind scale, one, two, three. And sorry, this is right after in 1972. Uh, basically, the level of sighting that you have or the degree in which you interact with the craft changes your sighting level. J. Allen Hynek had a three-point scale, close encounter of the first kind, visual sightings of a UFO within 500 feet of the viewer. Second kind, a UFO event in which physical effect is alleged. And three, UFO encounter in which an animated creature is present. What we plan to do is cover a few of the more exciting cases that we know of in in-depth detail uh, from each category for the next few episodes. And then we'll go somewhere from there. So I just want to ask here quickly. I know we kind of commented on while we were going through projects that J. Allen Hynek just kind of stayed in the background through all of these. I know he's fairly predominant now. Did he actually do anything other than just observe through all of these? Well, he sat on the committee, so he did have some hand in the direction that they would go. He had a fairly major hand in well, this. Yeah, he but sat he's on also, the committee. I don't know how many people sat on the committee. That is something we probably have to look into to see how much weight he would pull behind it. And mm. he did. He has quotes on saying he came into it as a skeptic looking to disprove anything. But mm. he did come out of Project Blue Book believing that there are unexplained things out there and he's not sure what he And And like I said, uh, it only takes one of how many sightings for it to be something unexplained happening out there. Whether it be most of them are probably an aircraft. It just takes yeah. one of them to be something that's unexplained to be that and to be convinced. I was just curious in his role in all of it and all of that. Yeah. Uh, any other questions you have about this? I don't think so. I think that was a fairly good. I tried uh, to keep it as brief as possible. And I think we're still really good. approaching about an hour. So I think we will cut it off here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time when we're discussing the close encounter of the first kind. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, we are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes, please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now, we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing, 
that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only and in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are mm-hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we yes. will definitely, we're open to shares. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.